uh, not second Colossians, but Colossians 2, um, uh, 2 uh, 11. And we'll read through uh, 15. And just so you know where we are, uh, we're continuing this, uh, this notion that he talked about, like, by faith you've received Jesus, so you should walk in him. Uh, Jesus is the image of the personal, uh, uh, invisible God, so walk in him. You should be rooted uh, full of thanksgiving as you are taught and bounding in thanksgiving, trusting in Jesus and not in uh, any false spirits, uh, because Jesus is so much greater than anything else. He is head of all authority. And then we come to this part where he says, <laughs> it starts out great. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authority by putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I did a trial run with my kids yesterday. It turned out that there's a lot of these words they have no idea what means. <laughs> so it uh, turned out to be a longer time at the table. Uh, so, so most of the kids have no idea what circumcision is, and just a funny story about that. I was—I uh, don't know if we should go there. Yes, we'll go. We're already on the way there. I, uh, my uh, my second cousin, which I didn't know was my second cousin, it turned out to be one person I taught in a youth group. But the way he thought circumcision was that was that it was you were made a eunuch. So I had to correct that part of circumcision. So. This is not to be too graphic, but if you don't know what circumcision is, it's taking a small part of the foreskin and cutting it off. So that was a that's what Abraham was asked to do when he was 80 years old and everybody else. And who in the crowd will be like, are you sure that God told you to do that? I, I think I would have. But um, so that's the, f- that's the strange part of this this text because here it says I think I, this is for the kids uh, don't see the, but it's because there's no hands he talks about how can you circumcise somebody with not using hands well it's because it's a it's a spiritual circumcision Paul is here going into saying to the Colossians and the Laodiceans who are Greeks saying when you believed in Christ then your hearts were circumcised you don't need now to be circumcised because there was pressure from other people saying no you have to become Jewish to be a real Christian you say no and, and the reason why we can say that is true is because, um, because even in the Old Testament and in the New Testament God chastises his own people and saying 
you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your hearts. Like you have, it's also this part of this passage, just so many pictures. In the Bible, there's so many pictures of things. And so having a stiff neck is like, you would not bend to what God says. You not bend. You would rather break. You would rather have God break your neck than bend it. And so, so it was not about the ritual. It's about believing in who God is. And in this case, it's about believing in who Jesus Christ is. That's what the circumcision without hands was. It was the belief in Jesus Christ. So first, they are, we are uncircumcised uncir- uh, without hand uh, because what happens in that part, there's a taking off of the old self. Um, maybe I should follow my manuscript. And we see that in two places. We see in that we're taking it off by believing in Jesus Christ. We're taking off the old self. Believing Christ for our righteousness, not our own. Taking it off. And, it de- and who did that? Well, Jesus did it for us. And then we can believe him and do it. And then say, he says to them, to encourage them, when you were buried with him, when you were baptized, so Epaphras, his name, nine, he had spoken the gospel to them. They had received and they had been baptized. So they had been baptized into Christ's death. So they were buried with Christ in baptism. We are buried in baptism. And we were raised in the powerful working of God. So we die with Christ, taking off the old nature, dying with Christ, raised by the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And then he, go back, he goes back again and talks about death and says, what, what were you like before you met Jesus, you understood Jesus? Well, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. And the problem with that is that was, I can use my sermon, there was this big part uh, Susan was saying in the beginning, has anybody ever done anything wrong? Just imagine that being all written out on a piece of paper or many, maybe, <laughs> if you're old like me, there was printer piece, uh, printer things that could go like a whole room. Maybe it looks a little more like that with everything we did wrong in word, word, thought, and deed. But what was it that Jesus did? He took that. And he, oh, I have it, I have it, I have it. Oh, that was the, you're dead, and now you're raised alive. But he, he nailed, he nailed all you dead to the cross. So, there's two uh, interpretations. It's either he nailed all you did wrong, or he nailed the law to the cross. The law that we have all trespassed many times. So that is such a relief, such a wonderful thing. But even more, the last part. And by 
He disarmed the rulers and authority and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So yes, Jesus has taken our sin and he's hammered it to the cross. And then, but then the enemy and others could still accuse us because you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong. And I was meeting with Ramiro this week and we get, went through the same passage by coincidence. And he asked this great question of me and says, but how can anybody else pay for me? Which is a great question. How can somebody else pay for the things that I've done wrong? Because that goes to the core of who Jesus is and who he must be. Because Jesus says not many people would lay down their life for, good, for somebody. Or maybe it's a really good person we would lay down our lives. But the issue is not that somebody lays down his life. It's who does it. And so we come to this point where we have to, we, we, did, we went into it together and it's like we have to look at who Jesus is. He's not just some random person. No, he is eternally with God, the Father. He choose, they choose in the eternal counsel of God that this was the way to save people. Then he willingly goes into the world that he created. The one way he, is there, everything has been created uh, f- through and for him. It's a broken world by this time. He comes in and experiences all these things. Shame, he experienced being betrayed, being misunderstood. And in the, in, the, in the garden, we have the prayers. Is there another way? He knows that it's not. And then we come to the, also think, but, but then that's not fair. He's just God. Well, that's the even more interesting part. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he has to be, or else he cannot pay. Because who, who, who do we owe our pain, shame, and guilt to? To God. So if Jesus is not God, then the debt cannot be owed. It can't be paid. So God comes in his eternal plan and makes a way for us. But then, like Ramirez was saying, but then it's not fair. Like, he's God. Like, he's not tempted. Like, well, that's the thing. Jesus was also fully human. And so he fully empathizes with who we are. And so he was tempted. He was tried. It did really hurt. But even more than that, he takes the wrath on, of God on himself that we deserved. And so that's, that's amazing and it shows God's love. And so if you are out there, a skeptic or a skeptic in here, I would be like, I mean, God, like who can pay for me? Well, only Jesus can pay for you. No one else can.
And so I would implore you to continue to investigate who Jesus is. If you're skeptical of the things I'm saying, please continue to investigate who Jesus is. Because it's only found in him. And you would only really understand who God is if you know who Jesus is. But then we come to one of my also fantastic uh, points because I just think it's, 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 it's so beautiful and it's so crazy and it's so, wow, yeah, the cross is totally amazing. Like, this is amazing. Our freedom, our forgiveness, all those things, fantastic. Amen. Praise the Lord. But what he does with the evil powers is even more, <laughs> is also amazing because let's say, let's say that... This is very practical because every time you hear some voice telling you, condemning you uh, for things you've done wrong, you can go through this verse and say, no, because Jesus has disarmed you. And not only has he disarmed you, he has dragged you through town as a conquering king and you can't do anything. So just short, I'm, just, I'm getting all excited. A triumph was the biggest honor that a Roman general could have. So he would cross into, into Rome, which no general was allowed to, because you became a, a normal person as soon as you did. But for that one day, he could, he could come in. Every, a million people probably in Rome, everyone's on the street. You, the the person that had the triumph would be in a in a in a in a in a big parade, a huge parade. But he would be in this uh, um, chariot, drugged by four white horses. And before him, all the spoils would come, all the um, pictures of the country they painted them, and then uh, all the money and all these things would be come in front of him. See, this is what I've conquered. This is all. All the things I've conquered after him would come. All the prisoners of war. King, the best would be if you could capture a king and he wasn't dead and put him in all his robes and they would come afterwards. That's what we have to look at, that the devil and all his evil people, or people, evil demons, would be in that train, totally defeated. That is what Jesus did. It was so shameful to be in a parade like this that most people would want to die on the battlefield. No king would ever want it to be, triumph, be, be, be dragged into triumph in Rome. But you say they kept their life. No, they did not. Because at the end, they would all be slaughtered. And you say, like, how is that good? Well, of course that is good. Because Jesus has just nailed all of our sin or cross. And he has disarmed the enemy. And nothing can touch us. We also just have to remember he triumphed over us too. We should have been in that train and we should have been slaughtered. But he didn't. He nailed our shame, pain, and guilt on the cross and set us free. That is how amazing Jesus is. And that is, so, so what's the whole point? What's Paul saying? It's the same thing. Like he's saying, 
because Jesus has done this for you guys. And stop believing things that are not true. Stop going back to different rules, regulations, because he's already set you free. Nobody can accuse you. Nobody can slander you because Jesus has paid and he has triumphed. So in Christ, Christ, God has triumphed in Christ. That's the amazing God that we have. And so practically, we just have, we have to encourage one another, this is true. We can't, we can't do this alone. We weren't the one triumphing. God did in Christ. But if we believe in Jesus, then that is very true. And so we have to keep encouraging one another, not to be discouraged, but to keep, keep following Jesus and encouraging one another to do the same and shine the light to people around him. Because if you aren't, if you aren't saved by the cross, then you're going to be in the other triumph. So why do you want to die? Be reconciled to God. As Paul pleads to people, come to life. Embrace Jesus. Embrace life. God has showed and made a way for us to be with him. So don't fall for the tricks of the enemy. Don't fall for condemnation because in Christ we've been forgiven and God has triumphed over the enemy. And praise be to Jesus. Let's pray. Amen. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the kids. Thank you for everybody who prepared it. Lord Jesus, you know all about my heart. I'm it's my deal. I got to deal with the whole thing of my, my past and church and blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, but Lord, thank you. You used the Holy Spirit to convict us, to encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray so much for each little kid to each old person. Help us to see that this is true every day. Not just one time, but every day. When we feel condemnation, let's remember the verses that we can be forgiven in you and you've triumphed. Not we did, but you did, God, in Christ. Help us to remember those things. Help us to encourage one another because we forget, Lord. Help us, we ask. Help us to have great joy, great thanksgiving as we recount and remember these things. I pray we do it so we shine your light in this place, in our work and in our study and as we just try and figure out what life is. Grow our joy in you, Jesus. That this is really true. And it will be lived out by all of us for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Joseph will come and uh, lead uh, the rest of the time.